Good morning, and welcome to this edition of A Public Affair on KGNU with the Community Foundation of Boulder County. I'm your host, Jim Williams, Dean Emeritus of University Libraries for CU Boulder, and I'm a trustee for your Community Foundation. With me today are two of the people behind the newly released 2020 Ecosystems Twins Report. Professor of Environmental Studies at CU Boulder, Sharon College, and Brett McCairn, Senior Climate and Sustainability Coordinator for the City of Boulder. So thank you both for being here today. So Sharon, what is the 2020 Ecosystems Trends Report? And who was, who was a part of the group that put this together? Thanks, Jim. Well, the 2020 Ecosystem Trends Report for Boulder focuses on the status and trends in our ecosystems, including things like climate, soil health, and biodiversity. And the report came out of a growing interest by the community in understanding our ecosystems right here in Boulder County. So just a couple of years ago in the fall of 2018, the Center for Sustainable Landscapes and Communities at CU collaborated with the City of Boulder's Climate Initiatives Division to plan a gathering on cities, ecosystems, and climate change. And one of the things that came out of that very well attended and attended and vibrant event was a need and a motivation to regularly track and communicate the status and trends of Boulder County's ecosystems and ecosystem services. So how did CU actually, Sharon, get involved? Well, the center that I just mentioned is a center that's really focused on engaging our communities around issues that are of important to us in the environment and sustainability. And so the center was a great entity um, to put together this report, gathering data that had been collected by city and county agencies and local residents on our ecosystem trends. Ah, very good. So I did, you mentioned some of this, but I, I did read that the major takeaways from the report fall into six areas. We may not get to all six in this conversation this morning, but they are climate, soil health, watershed health, air quality, biodiversity, and urban land coverage. So let's start with climate. I, I think that's probably something, Brett, that is at everyone's attention these days. So what were the major takeaways about climate in this report? Well, I think we probably all know this intuitively, but the, the data are starting to definitely show that we're, our, our landscape, our ecosystem, our climate is warming and that we're having more extreme uh, weather types of events. Hail, for example, is increasing in frequency and in size. Uh, we are seeing, as I said, more warmer days, especially during the summer when the days over 90 are increasing significantly. 
And I think it's starting to give us that personal sense that we are seeing a very significant change in our overall condition. And when we published our, our last climate action report in 2015, we cited information from a report done at CU that suggested that our climate by mid-century is likely to be more like Albuquerque's than it is the, the climate of Boulder that we've had historically. So we're seeing very significant changes. I just should also note that this summer's fires are another very important indicator or illustrator of a trend that we're also seeing, which is that while we are not necessarily seeing dramatic decreases in moisture, we're seeing the kinds of conditions that can rapidly dry out landscapes very quickly and lead to the kinds of sort of intense fire experiences that we had late this year. I don't know if you have more to offer, but there's also the change that we're seeing in the Caribbean in the number of tornadoes, for example, that are happening in our world. Anything you want to add about climate change and, and, and what's going on in the Caribbean? Well, it's, it's everywhere. I think that that's the, the real take home message now. I mean, I think we've watched in horror at the kinds of fire events that California's had over the last couple of years. And then suddenly we had them in our backyards. We had as a part of the fire events, terrible air quality issues, which we're gonna have to start preparing for because we're gonna have that a lot more often too. And then you'll see these extreme weather events that have happened all over the US over this past spring, we had the derecho, it was basically sort of an inland, uh, almost a cyclone event. I've been working with some folks in other cities. In Sioux City, they lost 50% of their urban canopy in a single day. That, that state lost 50% of its corn crop in that, in that storm. So we're seeing just massive um, changes in these kind of extreme events all over the world. Well, then those, those events in Iowa um, really impacted topsoil and the loss of topsoils. Sharon, I, I've, I've read something about soil regeneration in this report and what tillage does, for example. So anything else you want to add in terms of the takeaways on soil? Sure. Well, we know that a lot of the carbon that um, is, is in the carbon cycle ends up in the soil and plants essentially store that carbon in their roots. And so as we turn over the soil, when we plow the fields to plant crops and to control weeds, we release a lot of that carbon into the atmosphere. And right now that's not where we want the carbon to be. We want the carbon to be stored in the trunks of trees or in the soil. And so Elizabeth Black, who's um, organized a project here in Boulder called the Soil Health Project has been out working with farmers and also with our open space and mountain park staff to collect soil and analyze how much carbon that they store. And it turns out that when you till soils, you indeed release a lot of that soil, a lot of that carbon. So the sites where farms were tilling their soils more often had lower stores of carbon. Similarly, uh, we know that when you have a lot of different kinds of plants, those plant communities can store a lot more carbon. So on our open space grasslands, for example, sites that have more plant species, more varieties of plants store more carbon 
than those sites that just have a few species of plants. So, Sharon, what is the reaction by the farming community about these findings on soil health? Well, one of the things that Elizabeth points out very nicely in this report is that uh, we need to work harder to get water sources to these farmers, because if they have a greater access to irrigation systems, they don't have to till their soils as often. So there's an interaction here between um, what we can do as a community to help support um, farming practices that store more carbon and what the farmers are actually doing on the ground. So Brett, what does all of this tell us about the takeaways on the watershed in, in our area? Yeah, I'm, I have to say that while I, I started with somewhat of a bleak tone, <laughs> one, of the, one of the real um, promising and hopeful areas in this analysis and in this work that I'm so delighted, by the way, that CU has has taken on this work for our community because it's so important for us to be able to start to see these changes in real time. But I think one of the things that we're seeing in our community with fantastic efforts like the one that Elizabeth Black is leading, the, the backyard carbon farming project that EcoCycle is doing in our community is that when we start to view carbon as a resource and start to manage it out of where we don't want it, which is the atmosphere, and into where we do want it, which is in healthy soils, in healthy forests, those healthy systems can generate a whole range of really vital life-supporting services that we need, whether that's improving air quality, increasing stormwater infiltration, reducing temperatures through the shade and moisture evaporation that those systems provide. And so at the city and at the county, We've been involved in projects since 2017, which are actively experimenting with new forms of regenerative agriculture that can put more soil or more carbon back in the soil. And we're starting to see the many different values that that creates, including you know, increased productivity of the plant communities, because as Sharon noted, we're finding that the more diverse these plant communities, the more they are, they're essentially storing this carbon in a, in a variety of ways. We should think of carbon, frankly, as the energy stocks in our ecosystems, and that we have been depleting those energy stocks by the way we've managed those systems. And what we want to do is recharge those living batteries, put more of that carbon back in those systems. And when we do that, they have a remarkable resilience capacity that then provides all those kinds of services for us. So that brings us all the way back to, to the conversation we had with Sharon about soil health and whether the farming community is working in cooperation with us and these findings in order to save that energy and put that, put that energy and keep that energy in our soils. I want to uh, take a moment and thank our listeners for tuning into KGNU's A Public Affair this morning. Today we're hearing what the major takeaways are from the newly released 2020 Ecosystems Trends Report. My guests are Professor of Environmental Studies at CU Boulder, Sharon Collins, and Brett Ken Karen, Senior Climate and Sustainability Coordinator for the city of Boulder. Isn't that interesting 
that we have just for our own city, a climate and sustainability coordinator. And Brett, we're de delighted that you were able to join us today. Let's, let's move on and talk, Sharon, about air and air quality and the takeaways in this report. Well, thank you. Brett already mentioned um, the link to air quality that we all experienced from the fires that happened in the middle and late summer and early fall this year. And it was hard to go outside and it was hard to breathe some days. And um, many people who have compromised respiratory systems um, were definitely forced to stay at home and inside during those days. So it's something that's very real and very personal for a lot of people. What we're um, featuring in the report about air quality is, is the result of some monitoring that Boulder County started just a couple of years ago at the Boulder Reservoir. And they also set up some um, monitoring stations at the Union Reservoir in Longmont. And what they're measuring are things that are indicators of industrial uh, oil and gas production. So things like ethane and propane, and then the ozone that is formed in combination with those, those um, gases, as well as the, the gases that come out of the exhaust pipes of our cars. So what they're seeing is that, especially in the summertime, we see pretty high levels of ozone in the air um, measured at Boulder Reservoir. And that can be uh, cause compromises for people that have respiratory issues. The um, increases in ethane and propane are especially noticeable at the Union Reservoir, which is um, in Longmont, east of Longmont, and is closer to some of the oil and gas operations in Weld County. And so we begin to see a signature of these Parliament. gases associated with oil and gas production that are being emitted and um, are at higher concentrations near Longmont than they are near Boulder. So. I think one thing that this really points out for us is we need to continue to monitor very closely and carefully and on a very local scale these um, constituents of air quality and begin to um, devise regulations that are appropriate for the kinds of emissions that we're seeing. So um, were some of our worst situations due to the virus we've had here recently? That didn't really show up in, in this data set because those occurred after we, um, we uh, stopped, um, well, after the data set that we, that we used for this report. But no doubt um, what would show up in, in the data from the fires would be the fine particulates, as they're called, the little tiny pieces of, of dust and charcoal that end up in the air that can become lodged in our lungs and create real problems. So we'll probably hear about this in the next trends report. Hopefully, yes. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Brett, what about uh, the whole issue of biodiversity? Well, What's the takeaway? We, yeah, before we leave the air quality piece, I just want to emphasize this point that Sharon was making. It's immensely important that we pay attention to the things that we can't see even as we watch and are, and are more aware of the things that we can see. So the fires, it was very visible. The smoke, you can't miss it. The sunsets, you know, the whole thing, you can get it. But volatile organic compounds, ozone, those are invisible killers. We have some of the highest asthma rates in the whole region because of the poor air quality of the Front Range more broadly. And these impacts that this data is starting to demonstrate 
on the impact of oil and gas development on the health of the surrounding communities is really groundbreaking. And we need to keep track of that. And we need to find ways not to just watch it, but to do something about it. So I'm encouraged by the work that Boulder County and others are doing around this. Boulder County took a real risk and was really a pioneer in setting up some of those that research. But it's something that our communities need to pay close attention to. And the last thing I want to say about air quality is we need to make sure that we're finding ways to prepare our communities for this ongoing air quality challenge. We're going to have more summers like we had. We're going to have more poor air quality due to fires. There's a lot of members in our community that don't have the kinds of basic protections about indoor air quality uh, filtration and things that they need. And we need to find ways to make sure that all members of our communities can be safe as much as possible during those kinds of events. In terms of the biodiversity piece, I think, and I just wanted to know, I appreciate your comment about my having the great privilege of being a part of a sustainability organization in our city. And just to call out that we have a broad organization. We have a, an entire department devoted to climate and sustainability, as well as having all of the departments in the city really oriented around those objectives. It's a, it's a remarkable organization, both in the city and I would also call out the county for that work as well. And that one of the things we've been seeing over the years, and we have a, a great wildlife coordinator in the city who's been watching these interactions of species like bears and cougars and others. And we see more and more of these human wildlife interactions as we start to see the impacts of loss of habitat happen for those species. Or in the case of climate change, starting to see how seasonal changes are actually changing the food supplies of, of, of species like bears which is causing them to come out of the forests and down into our, into our neighborhoods and look for food. So in the trends report, you'll see this fascinating analysis of the increase in bear sightings and bear interactions with human beings. And it's one of the reasons why we've actually had to go to these special types of trash containers that bears can't open that were originally only required for west of Broadway, but we're now starting to see bears coming even onto the east side of Broadway. So we're seeing more of those kinds of trends. We're also seeing, you know, the, the, in the report, I think it was a very useful reminder about raptors and about the decline in some of these raptor species that we have. And then that the was a surprise. That was a yeah. surprise. It is an interesting, but, and in fact, what's really interesting is you see decline in most species, but an increase in a species like red-tailed hawks, which is a more generalist species. But I think that we'll probably find that it has a lot to do with the diversity of the kinds of species that are existing that these, these animals require. So yes, we might have more prairie dogs out there, but there's a lot of other prey species that some of these other hawks are requiring that we're seeing less of as we see declines in habitat values in other places. And then the last one I just wanna call out is of course pollinators. And here again, remarkable work by our planning department, our IPM coordinator, Rella Abernathy, the work that she's doing with a whole bunch of community members to create pollinator habitat around the community and the importance of us starting to really monitor how pollinators are doing. Because in many cases, it's turning out that urban areas are becoming the refugia for pollinators. Do we have a, a large pollinator community here in Colorado? Well, yeah. I'm looking at Sharon. Yeah, I'll jump in. It's actually remarkable, and I didn't know this, and I've lived here for over 20 years. We have in uh, Boulder County, 552 species of bees, of wild bees. That what? is remarkable. <laughs> and if you think about it, it's probably because we have such um, high habitat, ha habitat diversity. So we have, you know, in the eastern part of the county, we have grasslands and agricultural fields and wetlands. And then you move up into the foothills and then all the way up into the alpine 
environments. And so it is quite remarkable, 552 species of wild bees. My, my. Well, I knew this was going to happen with, with six takeaways. We only get to, to five. But if you could leave people, if each one of you could leave pe people with a thought or a challenge based on what we've learned from this marvelous report, what would it be? Yeah, I, I want to jump in on this. I, I want to make sure that folks don't just see their role as watching, sometimes helplessly, as these trends perhaps change in a direction they don't like to see. But there are lots of opportunities for folks in our community to take an active and really influential role. So I would offer a few of those. The, the great work that um, groups like EcoCycle are doing where people can actually sign up to start doing literally carbon farming experiments in their backyard. We're also looking at starting a program called Gardens to Grazing Lands, where we train local folks in a new kinds of uh, a new kind of soil gather or land assessment tool that they can use their phone for that will help us gather data across this whole area. And finally, in terms of trees, we need more trees in our community. Plant trees, protect trees, do everything you can. So there's lots of things that folks can do to help out with this. Thank yeah, and you, I'm I'm sorry, I would jump in and add that one thing that really came out pretty clearly in this report is that we've we've shaped these ecosystems that we live in. And with this information that we have on the status and trends of these ecosystems, that's quite powerful to use that information to take positive action to further shape those ecosystems and those interactions that we have with these wild species. So Brett pointed out some specific actions and throughout the report, we've added recommendations of ways that people can get involved in collecting data or in planting a pollinator garden or other actions to, to which, which constitute those, those positive steps toward sustainability. Well, Sharon and Brett, we certainly want to thank you for being with us this morning and for the great reminder that you're leaving us with that so much, there is so much that we can do in our own community to protect our ecosystem. So, and for all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning into the Community Foundation's monthly program on KGNU's A Public Affair. You can learn more about the Community Foundation of Boulder County at C-O-M-M-F-O-U-N-D dot org. We'll be back with you on KGNU's A Public Affair just after Christmas on December 28th. Until then, be well.